So I'd like to invite you to take your Bibles and open it to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy 5. And just to let everybody know, the, what we do every Sunday here is we take the next passage in the book that we are studying together. We expound it. So next Sunday you can already know what the text is going to be about and you can um, read it ahead of the time. And also know that if you come and you feel like this message is just for you and I'm just targeting you, it was just the next passage. So I had no agenda except to preach the truth to you. Um, So if it maybe feels like that when I preach, especially this text as well. um, But yeah, just be thankful that the Lord speaks to us through his word. So today we'll just read 1 Timothy 5 from verse 1 up until verse 8. This is the reading of God's word. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let's pray. Father, we come and we desire for your name to be glorified, to be lifted up, for our hearts to be drawn to Christ, to his love, his mercy. Lord, thank you that as we study a text about widows and how to care for the widows, that we also see a glimpse of your heart for the poor and the suffering and the lonely. And I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts as well. That you would convict us from our sins, our laziness, our, our comfort lovingness, if that's a word, but help us, Lord. And I pray that you would clarify what this text means for us and that we would apply it into our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there was a trend in the church growth movement in the, early, in the 90s in which the church was revamped or changed to be more fitting for modern culture. Now, there were signs on the uh, outside of the churches, and there were flyers being handed out. And on these signs and these flyers, these words were found. This is not your grandparents' church. Now, the idea is very simple, right? This church is not like the one your grandparents are going to. This is a church that is going to be modern for the modern world with modern music and a modern way of doing things. The problem with that slogan, though, is that it quite clearly implies that grandparents are not welcome to that church. It is a church for the young, and everything will be catered for the young instead of for the old. Another irony of this church is that it can only last for one generation. Because as that generation grows up and become grandparents of them, of them, of their own, of themselves, then they will need to change the church again for the next generation, to fit the next generation. Do you see? Tim Challies said this well when he wrote, These churches were founded on a model 
that explicitly rejected many of the people nearest and dearest to God. After all, it is gray hair, not a man bun, that is called a crown <laughs> in the Bible. A crown of glory. And so God's vision for his church is different. It is meant to include people from every generation, old and young, men and women, parents and children, in the church. And this is the vision of verses 1 to 2, that you pick it up. Let me just read it again for us. When, when Timothy says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Who was in church here? Was it just the teens? Was it just the students, the young adults? No, it was the old and the young together. This is how it was always meant to be. Now, beloved, I'm not against student ministries or specific ministries to a specific age group. I think that's good and has a place. But I do not think we should call that church. That's my point. If you just have one group of people in a church, you are missing an essential element of church. Now in Porch, this is a very popular thing to do, right? I mean, it's a student town, so we have the students completely apart, completely set apart on their own, and that's called church. But that's only, at best, one part of church. But never the church as a whole. That will never lead to maturity for us. It subtly encourages the idea that you should only be in a church where you are completely comfortable with people exactly like you, and if you don't find that, just move on. Just find another one. But it takes maturity, humility, sacrifice to love people from different generations, the old and the young. To sing songs that you don't necessarily want to sing or not necessarily feel the same kind of excitement, but we sing it together as a church. That's the encouraging thing about singing together as a church. We do it together. And here in our text, we see how it is the church that must take care of whom? Widows. The widows are the older women that have lost their husbands. It is the church that must now come in and take care of those people. The lesson for us right at the start is this. The church is not always going to be comfortable for you. It's not. There are going to be people in the church that will require sacrificial love. And especially when we will need to care for widows who can give you nothing back. We need to sacrifice ourselves. So this will be a part one of two of how to care for widows in the church. The, today we'll only look at the general principles and then next week we'll look at verses 9 to 16 in more detail. So first we will look at the foundation. Verses 1 and 2 gives us the foundation. That's the first point. We'll look at three points together. But the first one is, the foundation is laid about how we should care for widows. Look at verses 1 to 2. Verse 1 again. It says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers. Now the, the, the implication, the underlying assumption here, is that the gospel has transformed the way we relate to one another. That is because through faith in Christ, when we have repented from our sins and we trusted in Christ, God our Father has adopted us into his family. Listen to Ephesians 1 verse 5. It says, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons 
through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Look at John 1 verse 12. It says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So we are no longer strangers. We are no longer alienated from God because of us. And because our sins were placed on Jesus on the cross, the Son of God, and now all those who are in Christ are now called sons and daughters of God in Him. But our Father is not harsh. He has compassion on us. He knows our frame. Listen to Romans 8 verse 15. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 1 John 3 verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. This is who we are in Christ. We belong to God, and therefore we belong to one another as family members. We no longer view the church simply as an event, as a place to go, but as a people with whom we belong. That's how we feel about church. It's the family gathering. It's not just something we do, but the people we meet. You see the mind shift there. Now, of course, we mainly come also to worship, to sing and to glorify God, but we come together. That's what we're looking forward to, to be together. And this infuses our hearts with special love for one another. Older men now become our fathers. We see older men as mentors. Paul says to Timothy not to rebuke an older man. As a younger man who is called to lead God's family, it might have been a great temptation to be harsh and impatient with the elderly. Right? Perhaps because angry words and argumentative spirit has already taken hold in the church here, um, this was the, the setting that Timothy finds him. It would have been easy for him to react in the same way, with anger and harshness. But no, he has to treat them like fathers, encourage them. Younger men become brothers. I love that. To be a brother is to have a special affection for other younger men. If you might be an older brother, you feel protective over your younger brothers. You want to, you are concerned over their health, over their spiritual health. If you're a younger man, you see older men as your older brothers, that you want to mentor you and teach you how to be a Christian. But also verse 2 says, older women as Mothers, all the women become our mothers. I found this to be one of the most um, delightful things in ministry. When I was in Clarkstop, when I was here, the Lord just always give older people to be like a father and a mother to me, to me and Deborah. And I just find that so refreshing. There's that loving concern over us, over, over me and my family. And I just feel that. Listen to Paul, right? What he, he found a mother as well in Romans 16 verse 13. Karnu's favorite verse, all of you should know if you know Karnu, it says, Greet Rufus, but there's a rest of the verse, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Do you see that? This is how affection and our bond should be in church, you should, like fathers and sons, mothers and daughters. Whether you had a good earthly father or mother or not, or whether you might have lost your earthly father or mother. Through the church, the Lord often provides what is lacking for us. He gives us gospel fathers, gospel mothers, gospel brothers and sisters. 
I love this, 1 Corinthians 4 verse 15. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, for, for, you, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Do you feel, Paul says, I have become this to you. One father, one mother is worth a thousand teachers. YouTube cannot replace your father and your mother. You can find information there, but you do need a flesh and blood father and mother to teach you, to be with you, to show you how to live, to imitate. And God gives us these people in the church graciously. So beloved, one, one application is to give yourself to the relationships with one another, to, to invest in these relationships. But there's one more relationship I intentionally skipped because Paul adds one qualification to this one in verse 2. Did you notice? Look at verse 2. Younger women as sisters, but what does he add? In all purity. First, there should be an affection and a love between, well, Timothy and the men and the younger women as a brother would have for his own sister. There should be. That concern, that protectiveness, that love. Not cold, aloof, distant. But with all purity. Do you see? There should be natural boundaries in place to protect your purity. And one pastor gave a practical way to do this in his own ministry. He says, I will not meet alone with any woman unless she is my wife, my sister, my daughter, or old enough to be my mother. And I think that is wise, okay? It also helps the rest of us with how we should view and fight lust. It's a mind shift. Stop viewing women as objects, but as people made in the image of God. Lust at its core is not viewing someone as a brother or sister or someone made in the image of God, but as an object to be used and then discarded. There was a common piece of advice from a book called Every Man's Battle that, that taught this advice, and I think it was very bad. It's, called the, it's often called the bounce technique as a way to battle lust. So it was said that if you see a beautiful woman, you need to bounce your eyes because if you stare too long, you are going to lust. So bounce. You need to quickly move from one to the other. Now, it is commendable in the sense that it takes the sin of lust seriously as even looking with lust is sinful. But I think that unintentionally trains people to view women as objects instead of people to be honored as human beings. Sometimes you should bounce your eyes when there's an inappropriate situation in front of your eyes or when someone dresses inappropriately. But I want to suggest that instead of always bouncing your eyes, stop and think the following. That man, that woman is made in the image of God. Imagine that person as your brother or your sister. How that kills lust instantly. That man, that woman has a soul that can never die, that will spend all of eternity either in heaven or in hell. How can I treat this person as an object? Sometimes the most respectful thing to do is to not look away from beautiful men and beautiful women, but to treat them as human, to look at them and just value them for who they are. 
This is foundational for how we think and how we treat those in our church. We see one another as blood, blood-bought, adopted sons and daughters of our Father in heaven. And based on that foundation, there now follows two principles which leads to the second point. The second point, we've looked at the foundation, but secondly, the second point is the family should care for widows. The family should care for widows. Look at verse um, and this will be seen in verse 4 and 8. Okay. So notice that the church is now to honor these widows in verse 3. What he says in verse 3, he says, Honor widows who are truly widows. Now the word honor here has the double meaning of, of respecting and financially supporting. So it, it has respect, but it also has financial support in mind because of the contrast with verse 4. It says, But if... A widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness and to their own households and to make some return to their parents. You see, honoring here refers to supporting financially. So it's to physically take care of those who can no longer care for themselves. Paul is drawing here from a deep well, from the Old Testament, from Jesus, and from the early church to see how God cared for widows. I just want to read a few verses for you, how God feels about widows. In Psalm 68, verse 5, Father father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Psalm 146, verse 9, The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. God had special rules in the Old Testament that widows would be taken care of. In Deuteronomy 24 verse 19, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget to sheave in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. In the New Testament, we find the same pattern. Jesus had compassion on the widow. One example stands out where he raises the son of a widow And this is maybe not well known, but because we hear virtually nothing from Jesus' father in the Gospels after his teen years, it's very probable that that Joseph passed away, that Mary was a widow. And we see how Jesus cared for his widowed mother at the cross. Listen to John 19, 26. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Women, behold your son, Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Took her in as his own mother, taking care of her needs. It was one of the first things the church established in Acts chapter 6. When there was a neglect in the widows of the church, they they established deacon-like men to make sure that the widows are treated equally. And we read in James 1, the famous passage in verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So there's no doubt from the Old to the New Testament that God has a special place in his heart for the widow, for the poor, for the weak, for those who can no longer take care of themselves. But what 1 Timothy 5 reveals, which is very interesting, is that there is a wise and there is a foolish way to take care of widows. The church should not take care of every widow. Indeed, there are some widows explicitly commanded to not support because of their selfish lifestyles. We're getting to that a little bit later. 
So you might say that there are two extremes in the church. The one extreme is where a church just doesn't care, doesn't take care of any widow. They don't care about those people. But the second extreme is when the church takes care of every widow. They see it as their calling to take care of everybody without focusing on their relationship with the Lord or on other wise ways to support them. You might say, well, in what cases should we not take care of widows? Well, the first one, we see already in the, in the word in verse 3, when it says, honor widows who are what? Truly widows. Okay, that implies there are true widows that are truly in need, and then there are widows that the church should not take care of. Now, that is clarified in verse 4. Who are the not true widows? Well, verse 4. If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So widows who have family members who can take care of them should, especially children of the widows or the grandchildren. I love the way how Paul says this. He says, let them learn to show what? Godliness to their own households. It's like, this is Christianity in practice. This is your faith in action. Taking care of your mother in need. Your if, if you refuse to do that, your religion is useless. Your confession means nothing. If you say, well, I believe in Christ, but I'm not taking care of my, my, old, my old mother. To care for a widow in, in your family is practical Christianity. Godliness in action. But it also says that they should learn how to make some return to their parents. It literally means, in other contexts, it also has the idea of paying your taxes or paying wages. So make a return. You owe your parents. Now, isn't that so clear? It is fitting to take care of your mother who has provided you with food, clothing, housing, and education. You quite literally owe your life to her, being in her okay, for nine months. Shall you now abandon her to death? Do you see the wickedness of that? Now, it is true that Paul says a parent should save up for their children, not children for their parents. That is, an, that is a principle. But when they become so old that they can no longer care for themselves, the tables are turned. It is then the right and the godly thing to take care of them if it is in your means. Of course, it assumes that you have means to do that. So if you're a student with like a salary of 100 rand a month, then you probably can't do this. But if you have means to do this, you should. Now, I just want to say on a side note, I do think there is a place for nursing homes and for others to take care of the elderly. So long as that is not a way to abandon them. I think sometimes nursing homes and paying professionals is a way to cop out from your own responsibility. Never visiting them. They, they die there lonely in their nursing homes. That's not how it should be, beloved. The motive is given to us clearly in verse 4. Why should we do this? At the, at the end it says, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. I love that. This makes God happy. This pleases him. The God who is the protector of widows, when we protect widows, we are like him. It is simple obedience to the fifth commandment, which says, honor your father and your mother. 
And Jesus himself clarified in Mark 7 that the Pharisees, remember the Pharisees had a loophole. They said, if you give your money to the church, you no longer have to give it to your parents. How convenient. But Jesus says, you are putting your tradition above the word of God. No, take care of your parents. Beloved, God is not honored. The grace of Christ is not commended to the world when we are so greedy that we cannot take care of our parents. Let us not say the gospel with our lips and deny it with our hands. So on a practical note, this rule helps us to take care of widows wisely. I think deacons especially need to know these verses well. They need to, when they want to assist a widow, they need to first ask this basic question. Do you have children? Do you have grandchildren? Do you have family members who can take care of your needs? You see, so the church should feel comfortable and the widows in need should feel comfortable to share some personal details that might be relevant. Are they, does this widow know how to handle her finances? Maybe she just needs help with budgeting her money better. You see, so it's not always that the church should just give to whomever asks. There should be some investigation, some questions asked. And if they have no family, if they are truly alone, then the last point becomes relevant. And the last point we'll look at together is this. If your physical family cannot take care of you, your church family should take care of the true widows. Now you become a true widow in verse 3. Look at verse 3, when it says, honor widows who are truly widows. So now the church needs to do that. Um, and then verse 5, look at verse 5. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. So the first qualification of a true widow is she is left all alone. She has no family. Or in some cases, sometimes the widow is a Christian widow, but her family has abandoned her because of her faith. That has happened in the early church a lot. You, you come to Christ, your husband, and your children want nothing to do with you. In that case, she would qualify as a true widow. You see, so I, I don't think we should be too technical here. I think we should ask, is this person able to take care of their own needs? Remember the foundation. If this was your mother, if this was your father, if this was your brother and sister, how would you take care of them? That's the principle. Now the church becomes your family. If your earthly family is gone, the church should then be that family in, in their place. But a true widow is also one who has what? In verse 5 we see, set her hope on God. She still looks to God, her father, to take care of her needs. Like Ruth in the Old Testament and like Anna in the New, these women trust God for their needs. And then the church should be the answer to their prayers. <laughs> so when the widow prays, the church should be the answer there. And lastly, it also says she must. She is one who continues in supplications and prayers night and day. I think Paul actually had Anna, the, the widow, specifically in mind in Luke 2. Luke 2 verse 36. Listen to this. Um, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. Now look at this. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. So since a widow has no children to raise or a husband to please, she has the very special privilege to support the church and the work of the gospel through her prayers. 
She has more time on her hands to do that. A widow gets the amazing job to support every single person in the church with her prayers. I love how one commentator said it. He said it like this. He said, as a result of their intercession, young mothers with their toddlers, ministers at their books, missionaries in their fields, men and women on their jobs, all receive spiritual help for their work. If you are a widow, God is calling you to enter into a deep fellowship with him through prayer. Perhaps the great work of your life is only just beginning the great work of intercessory prayer. I think that's, that's right. Now, and I, I think that's a good principle for, if you want to broaden it, to even the, our view of retirement. You see, often we think of retirement as to stop working, that we can live in greater comfort, in greater relaxation, while instead it is supposed to be a special calling of hard work in prayer, to pray more, to pray more for missionaries, more for churches, more for one another. That's what a true widow is. In contrast to a true widow, look at what Paul says in verse 6, when he says this, But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. So instead of being giving herself in prayer and loving the church, she now instead focuses on herself. The same word of self-indulgent is used in James 5 as 5. Listen to this. It says, You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your heart hearts in the day of slaughter. So this is probably someone who's living in material excess, comfortable, lavish lifestyles, and they want the church to support that lifestyle. Using money and time on herself instead of on serving others. There are people like this. I think we forget that even widows are sinners. You know, they sin, they can sin, and they can be disqualified of the church's support in this way. That's the implication is that the church should not support widows who are self-indulgent, self-seeking. To support such a widow would be to encourage her lifestyle of sin, her lifestyle of self-indulgence. Again, Philip Ryken commented, he says, What the scripture implies is that the widow who lives for pleasure has no right to expect any help from the church at all. This is a reminder that the mercy of the church is not an entitlement The church has a responsibility to identify people's real needs and ultimate commitments. Some widows might be in need, but but because they are not serving Christ or willing to serve others, it is not wise to support those widows. Those funds must be used to support true widows. And those self-indulgent widows need to be called to repentance. Because what does the text say? What is the reality of her life in verse 6? It says, even though she's alive, she's dead. She's physically alive, but spiritually she's dead. You cannot serve mammon and comfort and Christ, on the other hand. If you want comfort as an ultimate God, you are dead. Self-indulgence is a dead end. But to serve Christ, to give yourself for him, to serve the church through your prayers and your, your loving giving, that is life and true life. And Timothy is told to command these things. Look at verse 7 when he says again, um, command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. Now that they there could either refer to the widows, that they, those who are self-indulgent, should be without reproach. 
It could also refer to the they, the families, who should take care of the widows, their own families, because of the next verse, what he says in verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. What a reproach that would be on, on the gospel if you have a mother like this and you refuse to take care of her. That would be a reproach. It is shameful because even unbelievers do this. You don't have to be a Christian to know that the law of God is written on our hearts that we are to honor our fathers and our mothers and even unbelievers take care of their, their earthly fathers and their earthly mothers. So if we are not to do that, we are worse than unbelievers. We show that we are no different. Instead, we are worse. It is to deny the faith because faith works through love. That's the evidence if your faith is real. Listen to Galatians 5 or 6. It says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Without love, especially love for your own family, your faith is fake. It's useless. You do not know Christ. You are still dead in your sins. If you have the attitude of, well, they should just take care of themselves. Or if your heart, in your heart you despise your parents. There's a problem with your heart. Has Christ not set us free from all of our sins? Are we not the recipients of an eternal, an eternal inheritance? Did he not promise that the meek shall inherit the earth? We already have all things. We can give ourselves for our parents. If you are saved, you already possess everything. You don't need to be greedy. Therefore, love your parents. Care for them in their need. For God cared for you in your greatest need to pay for your sins. And if you do not know him, if your heart is hard, today come to Christ. He is a good Savior, a gracious, patient, loving God who loved you in your sin. Come to Him. Say, Lord, rip this heart of stone out of my chest and replace it with a heart of flesh that I might love like you love, forgive like you forgave. That I can let go, Lord, and be free to serve. That's what you can do is come. And then I pray that our church will have a sign on the outside or on our flyer that says, Heritage Baptist Church, a church your grandparents can go to. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can consider your mercy, your grace, when we consider your love, your care for the orphan and the widow. Oh Lord, I pray that we would have the same concern, the same burden to care for widows. I also pray that you would give us true wisdom, Lord, and how to apply these verses in our, our personal lives, but also in our church as a whole, that we would not be guilty of neglecting the widow, Lord. Pray as well, Lord, that you would add many members to our church who are both from old and young, that we would learn to love one another, to walk with one another, that we might grow in maturity as a church, Lord, to serve people from every generation. 
Well, I pray, especially for those who are lonely, who maybe have lost their fathers and their mothers. I pray that you would provide for them such a father, such a mother, uh, such a brother and such a sister in your church, Lord, through the gospel, that we would be our family, that we would be one another's family where we have lack in our own lives. Lord, thank you that you are our, our Father who is in heaven, who loves all of us. May we follow you and obey you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.